And uh, with me this morning is consultant psychiatrist from IMU, Dr. Philip George. Good morning, Dr. Philip. Good morning, Charles. Yes, and on our series called Compulsions, we spoke to a number of Malaysians who are suffering and living with and managing their obsessive compulsive behavior. A lot of people, you know, claim to have OCD and mm. there's a difference between being a neat freak and, you know, being obsessed with hygiene and washing your hands. But there is also a clinical diagnosis of OCD. Can you actually tell us the mm-hmm. difference between you know just saying oh I've, I'm very OCD one yeah. and, and actually having OCD yeah so actually OCD is an illness it's an anxiety disorder and so it will interfere with the person's day-to-day function and most people with OCD uh, we have this thing this terminology called ego dystonic and ego syntonic and with ego dystonic it means it doesn't jive with the person's ego they're completely disabled with it they're uncomfortable with it they want to get rid of it but when it's ego syntonic it's part of them and they feel mm. you know there's nothing wrong and mm. it's part of their personality so obsessive compulsive personality disorder is a personality trait or disorder that you know sort of gets fixed by the age of 18 and is part of the person for the rest of their lives really well, yeah, I mean, people with OCPD who are a little bit more perfectionist, more orderly, mm-hmm. you know, more organized and really concerned about things like punctuality mm-hmm. and all of that are really, really good at the workplace. Right. They okay. become your CEOs. They become the admin managers. They, you know, they get things really done. They're dependable. Mm-hmm but they may have trouble with relationships. Right. Now, is OCD or OCPD, is it genetic or is it something that you develop? Yeah, so with OCD, it's an illness. So with illnesses, typically in psychiatry, it's a combination of biopsychosocial. So the biological factors like genetics. Genetics plays a role in OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, it's not a hundred percent, so it may run in families, and the risk of you know one person in the family developing an OCD mm-hmm. if another person has is maybe about ten to twenty percent. But there's also a neurobiological basis, and in fact, there's been research that suggests there's neuroanatomical changes in the brains of people with OCD. So there's physical changes in their brains, right? And there's a huge neurochemical change as well, which contributes to why they develop the OCD. Of course, there are psychological factors as well Mm -hmm. so it could be learned behavior things Mm -hmm. that you know symbolize something that they feared Um, you know so that typical story of little hands that Sigmund Freud described as you know his write up of the first OCD case that he sort of you know described to everyone it was little Hans who was fearful of horses he had a phobia and fear of horses but the horses resembled his father he was really fearful of his father who was punitive and angry And so, Develop yeah. coping mechanisms for yeah, it, yeah? that's right. So it's like a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's one of the factors. All right. When we come back, we'll take a look at some of the ways OCD manifests in people and how that relates to some of our Asian cultural norms. Uh, we've got that coming up after Bruno Mars on Light. We're talking about compulsive uh, behavior and uh, personality disorders uh, with consultant psychiatrist from IMU, Dr. Philip George. What are some of the different ways that OCD manifests in people? Yeah, so with OCD, it can be sort of based on certain themes. The most common is actually cleanliness. So the theme there is contamination. Mm -hmm. So people think that they may be contaminated and they end up then maybe washing their hands. You know, I've had patients who wash their hands two, two hundred to 
300 times a day mm-hmm. or they may take long very long baths you know continuously and they feel that that will help to overcome the contamination fear the other is doubt so people may have uh, doubts of whether they've locked the door they go back and check mm-hmm. or they put off the you know fire the other is orderliness so they need to have some sort of exactness so the way their clothes are laid out just before they get to work if it's you know not sort of in the right way they have to restart the whole thing all over again and then this fear of losing control they may feel that they may want to harm someone and this can be really you know trying and difficult and disabling for them and then this religious scruples you know mm. they have sort of bad feelings about their religion and it's against their religion and you know and then eventually unwanted sexual thoughts so all of these are the themes that typically obsessions have and then the compulsions follow on from those obsessions as right. well. Right. Now, in Asian culture, I guess sometimes we can be dismissive of people with OCD. If we notice someone who claims to have OCD, what are some of the signs and symptoms that we need to look out for? Well, one of the things that typically people with OCD will have is they will be maybe delayed in, you know, functioning and relationships may be get maybe getting affected as well. Mm-hmm. I think the important thing to understand is that they're suffering inside and they go through rituals. They continuously do things over and over again and there's no explanation. It's completely insensible. Yeah. And these are things that, you know, others may notice and you know, there's a lot of shame that they can create because they're condemning them or criticizing mm-hmm. them or, you know, asking them what's going on. I think the important thing is to understand that this is an illness, that very often there is very little control when there's an illness. The OCD typically tr- is triggered off by a need, uh, you know, the thought, the compulsion, uh, I mean, the obsession that says, okay, your hands are dirty. And, you know, that obsession is very different from a delusion where the person says, I don't think my hands are dirty because I've actually just Right, them. yes. But the thought is continuously there and if he doesn't attend to it, the anxiety builds up. And the anxiety is so disabling that the person gives in and then he does the compulsion of washing. All right. Well, when we come back, we'll find out what treatment options are there for people with OCD to manage their issues. We've got that coming up next here on Light. It's a light breakfast with Shaz and on My Matters, Dr. Philip George, um, consultant psychiatrist at IMU. We're talking about um, OCD. Uh, Dr. Philip, what are your treatment options if you have OCD? Well, just like the etiology or the causes for OCD are based on biopsychosocial format, the treatments are also biological, psychological and social. So the biological treatments will include medication. And some of the medications that we use are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors because we know that serotonin, which is in the brain, you know, is very instrumental in determining OCD as well. Mm -hmm. So when we stabilize serotonin, we actually get better control of the symptoms of OCD. The second is psychological treatment. So there's cognitive therapy, changing the mindset of people, trying to challenge their thoughts. This relaxation therapy because there's a lot of anxiety when you challenge your thoughts and right. trying to resist. There's response prevention, you know, stopping yourself when you feel the obsession coming and the compulsion mm-hmm. there. And also desensitization. So there's a variety of different psychological therapies. And social therapies include getting group 
sessions. Uh, people with OCD can help others, those who have recovered right. and in recovery. And of course, family therapy is re- really important as yeah. well. Yeah, I mean, coming back to that, a lot of people show or start getting symptoms as children and then it fully develops as yeah. teenagers because that's a tough time for most people. So yeah. if you notice that your child, you know, is exhibiting these kinds of symptoms, what can you do as a parent? Yeah, so usually these symptoms are triggered off by something that's really symbolic. So it may be a way for the child to try and cope with some stress that they, you know, can't really express or discuss. And, you know, it hasn't been actually put out in the open. And I think it's important for parents to identify if they're seeing their child get into a routine or something or ritual that really isn't productive. And then, you know, sort of sit them down and discuss that and find ways to stop and then overcome the anxiety when they try and, you know, make that stop as well. All right. Well, coming up, it is a Mind Matters Free Clinic. So call us with your questions. Uh, our number is 0395433333. We'll address uh, your questions next here on Light. It's a Mind Matters Free Clinic with consultant psychiatrist Dr. Philip George from IMU. Give us a call with your questions. Jane, what's your question for Dr. Philip? My husband, we've been married for 16 years. He's been diagnosed with major depression disorder in 2011. He had a second attack last year, 2018. What do you mean by attack? Is it a panic attack or? Yeah, an anxiety and panic attack altogether. It was a depression attack. Right. So he became suicidal and all that. So he went on medication. He had uh, 10 rounds of ECT and he came out of it uh, back at work. But uh, as of the last five months, he has been showing signs of bipolar. As in, uh, he becomes very aggressive and hallucinating, um, accusing me of all lots of stuff. I'm still living in the same house because we have three children, but I've moved out to the guest room. I was physically abused about two weeks back. He just went psychotic and he has not been truthful with the doctor because he doesn't know that I'm in touch with the psychiatrist too. He'd been hiding a lot of facts from her. She didn't know that he was uh, he abused me. I didn't want to make the police report because the police said they will have to handcuff him. I didn't want my, my kids to do that. So the thing is, uh, now I'm not allowed to do anything for him. So I don't keep track of his medication. And he's not been taking his antipsychotic medication. He's probably not taking antidepressants anymore. Oh dear. Because he thinks that he is uh, okay. And of course, he, I mean, I can keep in touch with the doctor, but then the doctor cannot tell him that I'm in touch with her. That would put me in trouble. Okay. So, uh, how do I get him to take his medication? I mean, he's in denial. He thinks it's perfectly fine. Okay. Yeah, that was my question. All right. So, Doc, what do you think? Well, yeah, I think it's actually quite sad that this is happening because the important thing is safety and I think Jane needs to ensure that there's safety for her and for her kids I mean being assaulted is no excuse that a mental you know mental illness cannot be an excuse for being assaulted and you know it has to take the appropriate steps to prevent and stop that and have safety ensured as well so most people with mental illness a severe mental illness like bipolar may have very poor insight may think that there's nothing wrong with them and typically we involve family members from the beginning they're involved in you know understanding about the patient how to care for them and how to support them and also to manage and monitor their medications and patients need to know that from the beginning as well so we put that as a criteria from the beginning itself uh, because we know typically patients with bipolar and with schizophrenia have 
poor insight mm-hmm. and don't think there's anything wrong with them. So when it comes to a stage where they're not taking medication and they're causing harm to themselves or to others, it is an indication for admission. And so typically with admission, I mean, it may not be easy to convince him or get him to think about getting admitted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You may need to get the help of family or social workers or police. And that way, when he does get admitted, we can address all these symptoms and his poor compliance and then ensure that he gets back to more stability for the benefit of himself, his work and the family as well. All right. Well, Jane, hope that helps. Coming up, we have a question from JC, whose husband was unfaithful and she wants to know how she can get over this. This is up next here on Light. It's a Mind Matters free clinic with consultant psychiatrist Dr. Philip George from IMU. We're taking your calls and your questions. JC, what is your question for Dr. Philip? My question is uh, regarding my husband who has cheated and he has confided in me. He has confessed. So my question would be, um, what is the psychology of a person who has been married for 18 years? He's fully married, blessed with three boys. What makes him cheat? And what makes him confess? And also, how do I regain back the trust? How can I trust him? Because I know for sure I won't choose divorce. I do not want to break up our happy home. So how can he earn back the trust? Can I ask you, JC, did you ask him why he cheated? Well, I doubt his answer Mm -hmm. because he said he was drunk. And then the more I questioned him, he began to avoid the questions by saying, or oh, maybe it was just a hallucination. Maybe I just had a nightmare. Maybe I didn't do it at all. So it sounds really absurd. I, I really, I feel for you, JC. It's not an easy decision for you to make and uh, not many women would put up with that. So, Dr. Philip, what do you think? I think Jesse's first question is not as easy as, you know, black and white. There are many reasons why infidelity happens and sometimes it's a combination or a mix. Sometimes the common reasons are attraction to a different person, desire for attention, excitement or novelty. Sometimes it's a troubled marriage or poor communication or stress in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if a person's parent was unfaithful, then sometimes that can be a learned behavior. And uh, sometimes it's the culture and the subculture, you know, and like in developing countries, sad to say, it becomes, you know, sort of a norm that, you know, men can go out and have an affair or relationship. I think the important thing is to establish, you know, where you want to stand in this. Do you want to reestablish trust or is this gone beyond the boundary? Yeah, I think JC actually wants to... Um, work on the marriage and right. to re-establish trust. Yeah, because I think the few things that maybe you need to try and identify, is this a one-off or is this really an affair? And if it's a one-off, then there may be other factors that were involved as well. And so then maybe there'll be opportunity for you know remorse and change. So is your partner truly sorry? I think that's important to establish. And, you know, did they voluntarily tell you or did you have to find this out? And, you know, is this the first time or has this sort of behavior happened? happened before. All these factors will help you to decide whether it's appropriate for you to re-establish trust and carry on with the relationship mm-hmm. or look at other you know things because it's important to look at helping yourself and strengthening yeah. yourself and your kids as well. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the statement divorce is not an option? I mean, I think importantly it's to consider that you do have options 
and you can't you know narrow yourself down into one box because then it just stresses you out even more uh, I think it's important to know that there are options discuss that with family members maybe you know you're religious if you are a religious person maybe somebody from the religious group or you know even a counselor or a psychologist I think it's important to know there are options and keep them open and then work on what you think is most probably the best option first all right wonderful well thank you so much for your great advice this week dr philip thank you thanks Shaz. great and to be here of course uh, the podcast for the show will be up a little later after 10 a.m this morning on our website at light.my